0: We all know how important it is to keep your car tuned. Even a Lamborghini could end up like this if you forget to put oil in it. The same goes spiritually speaking. You might be the brightest, most accomplished person in your field, even doing your best to share your faith. But yet it means nothing if it's missing one important ingredient. We don't have the
1: spirit in our lives and without the Holy Spirit, having full control of our lives. We have no power to love.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. Without God's spirit, we cannot truly be a light to the world. And this week, Charles Tapp continues his series, Christ First, a journey through the book of Revelation, with an honest look at the church today and what Jesus' example tells us about what it really means to love others with his message, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire.
1: I want to begin our message today pretty much the same way I've begun each message in this series on Revelation. And that is by reminding you of a very important truth. A truth that if we will embrace it, will help us to come to a better understanding of what the real message is that is at the heart of this book of Revelation. And here it is. The book of Revelation is not so much a book about the future and what the future holds, but rather the book of Revelation is about the God who holds our future. Rather than being a book about the end, the book of Revelation is the revelation of Christ with his church and the end of time. It is a message of the victorious Christ and his message to his church that there is no need for us to fear. For Christ has gained victory over death, hell, and the grave. And this same Christ, this victorious Christ, has committed to be with his people. He has committed to walk with us and be in the midst of us, as Jesus himself said, even until the end of the age. And I want to take a moment just to bring everyone up to speed for those who may not have been here to hear the previous messages. First of all, we see John as he has been exiled on the Isle of Patmos. And why is he there? Because John has refused to compromise. John has refused that he is going to bow to anyone other than the one true God. John took the first commandment seriously. You shall have no other cause before me. John is not on the Isle of Patmos because he's on vacation. He doesn't have a timeshare there. That's like our modern-day Alcatraz. He was placed there because he refused to bow to anyone other than God. And while on the Isle of Patmos, John, we know, has a vision where he says, I I saw one like the Son of Man, dressed in the padiri, the garment of the priestly robe that Aaron himself would wear, as he was standing among the seven lampstands, which we know now to be the seven churches of Asia Minor. And he held these churches, John said, talking about Christ, in his right hand. The right hand of God is symbolic throughout Scripture, is to refer to the omnipotent power of God. And he has seven stars, those stars being the messengers, those who have been given the duty and responsibility to preach and to read and to share the message that is in the book. And lest we forget throughout the book the number seven, is symbolic and it stands for the fullness of God. And initially, when John sees Christ, he says, I was afraid because out of Christ's mouth was a two edged sword. And you know from the Old Testament, the two edged sword was symbolic of persecution, it was symbolic of judgment upon the people of God for their sins. But because he sees Jesus clothed in a priestly garment, Jesus tells him there is no need for you to fear. And by wearing this priestly garment, here's the message that Jesus wanted to convey to John. I'm not here to condemn you. I am here to intercede for you. I'm not here just to make an offering before you. Jesus says to John and to the churches, and he says to us, I am that offering. So he says, don't be afraid. And I love how it reads in the literal translation. It's in the present imperative. So Jesus is basically saying to John, and he's saying to us today, stop being afraid. And as I said in our last message in this series, there are too many Christians today who are afraid of being lost. And if you're afraid of being lost, please hear me today. It is probably because you are resting in your own righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. I'm not afraid of being lost. And it has nothing to do with who I am. It has everything to do with whose I am. I am resting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when I hear Jesus telling John, Stop being afraid. I get it. Because there are too many Christians that are afraid. Too many Christians that have been told all their lives, you better watch out. You better watch out. Jesus is not going to love you. And they grow up with this fear. So instead of living in the fact that they're saved, they're living their lives in fear. But we have a great high priest, amen? who comes and intercedes for us. He's not just giving the sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice. But then later on in the vision, in verse 19, John receives his marching orders. So let's look at it. John, uh, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19, where he says, Write the things which you have seen. And the things which are, and the things that which will take place after this. First of all, the things which are refers to the things in the message that he is giving to the seven churches. And if you read Revelation, the first few chapters, John is talking about the things that come in chapters one, chapters two, and chapters three of the book of Revelation. Then he talks about, take the things which are to come, the things that will take place in the future. He's talking about the things that are contained in Revelation 4 all the way through to the end of Revelation chapter 22. This is the last section of the book. This is where many of us, when we want to study Revelation, we just go straight there. We just completely bypass Revelation chapter 1, 2 and 3. And why do we do that? Because this is where all the mysterious stuff is. This is where it's filled with with intrigue and and filled with gloom and doom. This is where John was given the message about the time of the end and all the things that are going to happen in the time of the end. And many of us, instead of being preoccupied that we no longer have to be afraid because Christ is our sacrifice, we find ourselves being preoccupied with the gloom and doom. Do you know anybody like that? All they talk about is what's going to happen in the time of the end, and the time of the end, and the last days. I came across a very powerful quotation this past week I want to share with you. It comes from the book, Last Day Events, page 174, Ellen White. And I want to take a moment and just read this. She says, there is a time of trouble coming to the people of God. But we are not to keep that constantly before the people to reign them up to having a time of trouble beforehand. Just leave that there for a moment. What is she saying? She's saying we have enough trouble with the present day. Don't go into the future and borrow trouble, even if you know it's coming. Then she goes on to say, there is to be a shaking among God's people. But this is not the present truth to carry to the churches. In other words, this isn't the message that we should be talking about all the time, the gloom, the doom, the last day events. That's not the message. Listen, Revelation is not about trying to figure out when Jesus comes. The message of Revelation is that you and I need to be ready when Jesus comes. For no man knows the day nor the hour. My job, your job, is to make sure that I have accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter six, verse 34, he says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself, itself, its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And now today, we begin our journey with John as the seven churches in Rome began to receive the messages that were to address not only them and their condition and their situation, but the Christian church throughout the ages. So I want us to go to Revelation chapter 2. As we read the message that was given to the church at Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to verse 7. Look at what it says. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things says he who holds the seven stars, those are the messengers in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, those are the churches, he says to them, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and, and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left, what everybody, your first love. Verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. And do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly. That word quickly means suddenly. Same word in Revelation chapter 22. And remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Verse 7. He who has, what? An ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Not just those of Asia Minor, but the church throughout all ages. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, here's what's important that we need to understand. For with each message that pertains to these seven churches, There is a pattern in each of these messages. First of all, overall, each message is Christ giving each individual church an evaluation of their state and an evaluation of their condition. And he begins by giving each church a commendation, a well-deserved praise. Now, I don't know about you. Everybody loves to be told that they're doing something right, don't you? Nobody just likes getting bad emails all the time, amen? He was giving them well-deserved praise. And what was that praise? Simply this, that, that I see your works. I see that you're working hard. I see that you're standing for right. I see that you're upholding the truth of God. And remember now, the city of Ephesus was a place that made home to the goddess of fertility. This was a place that was famous for its superstitious practices. So when when Jesus says to this church, I see that you're persevering, I see you're not giving in to the Nicolaitans and others who are trying to get you to compromise, he says, I see that, and believe it. Remember now, this is the same church that was started by Aquila and Priscilla. So the praise for them is that they have remained strong in their works and in their belief. But then following the accommodation in each section, there comes a word of rebuke. And in chapter 2 with the church at Ephesus in verses 4 and 5, here's the rebuke that was given. I see what you're doing, but you have left your first love. It better reads this way. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Yes, Ephesus was known for its sound doctrine, a doctrine which they fervently defended against those who were trying to preach compromise at every turn. Yes, they worked hard and had done great things for the cause of God, making sure that all and everyone knew what the truth really was. But in the midst of all of this, Jesus says to them, You have abandoned the love you had at first.
0: You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this.
1: Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family, and uh, WGTS lift me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life, and I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community.
0: Support makes a difference.
1: I always uh, encourage people, like, you want to listen to something to be encouraged when you're going through a tough time. they 91.9, um, they are definitely uplifted spirits. And especially uh, in the trying time we're in right now in society.
0: Working together to impact the nation's capital. We
1: are And I am forever grateful for, for the WGPS family because that's exactly what it is a family. And we get to be a part of that as listeners, which is is amazing.
0: Listener funded WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life. And this week, Charles Tapp takes an honest look at the church today and what Jesus' example tells us about what it really means to love others. As he concludes his message, fresh wind,
1: fresh fire. Listen. Weakness that Jesus finds with the church at Ephesus is not germane solely to them, but to every church in every age. And that is simply this. We are trying to do the work of God, live the Christian life without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I already know what some of you are thinking. Pastor, how did you make that huge leap from not having love to saying they didn't have the Spirit of God? Well, lest we forget, what is love? Paul makes it clear in his letter to the church of Galatia. Galatians 5.22. For he says, for the fruit or the byproduct or the evidence of the Spirit of God in your life and in my life is what? Love joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, and all the rest. And didn't Paul himself say in First Corinthians 13 and verse 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I don't have this thing called love, I'm just sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. In other words, Paul is saying, if you and I do not have love with all the works that we do, even if we're doing it in the name of God, all we're doing is making a whole lot of noise. Why? Because it's not being done in the power of the Spirit of God. As I said earlier to the message of, to the seven churches, to these first century Christians, it's a message for us throughout all the age of the church, especially, especially, this message hits home for the church of the last days. And guess what? That's you. And that's me. Look at how Paul puts this in his letter, his epistle to young Timothy in 2nd Timothy chapter three, verses one to five. I want us to look at this closely. And let me just give you context. He's not talking to those outside the church. Paul is talking to the church. So everything he says here is in the context of the believer. He says, but I know this, that in what? The last days, the days right before Christ comes, that's us, perilous times will come. Why? Look at verse 2. For men will be what? Lovers of themselves. Lovers of what? Money, boasters proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Verse 3. Unwhat? Loving. Unwhat? Forgiving. Slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, despisers of good. Traitors, headstrong, haughty. Look at this. Lovers of pleasure rather than what? Lovers of God. Verse 5 having a form, an outward display, an outward show of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, Paul tells Timothy, stay away from them. I don't know if you've ever read this in this context. The issue that the church will have in the last days is not that they don't have love. It's that they will have love for all the wrong things. Let's go back to verse 2, 2 Timothy. For men will be lovers of what? Themselves. Leave that there. Oh, so the problem is not that we won't have love. We'll just be loving the wrong things in the last days. And the thing we'll love the greatest is ourselves. So everything we do, every decision we make, will be in the context of how will it make me happy? And if you turn on television, if you still watch television, any commercial you see, you'll see this message. Love yourselves. Love yourselves. Do whatever pleases you. We'll be lovers of ourselves. Lovers of what? Money. What did Jesus say about loving money? It is the root of all kinds of evil. Go to verse 5 quickly having a form of godliness, but denying its power, from such turn away. Here's the message to the church at Ephesus. And here's the message to the church of the last days. You're doing a great job. You're working hard, but you're doing it in your own power. And you're doing it in your own strength. And you are not doing it in the power of God. And as you look at the church in these last days, We're like a machine. We've got all kinds of mechanisms, don't we not? We've got the buildings. We've got the ministries. We've got a motor. But if you don't put oil in the engine, what happens? And that's how the church is running today. Sooner than we think we're going to run out of oil. So the message to Ephesus and the message to God's people is today go back And get the Holy Spirit in your life. We go to all the ministry events. We volunteer for this. We volunteer for that. We're even good stewards. But we don't have the Spirit in our lives. And without the Holy Spirit having full control of our lives, we have no power to love. No power to forgive. No power to gain victory over those sins that Paul says so easily besets us we do not have the power to be a witness for God. Do you know why the churches today are not packed? We're running on our own oil. And if we learn any lesson from the five foolish virgins, soon enough, we're going to run out of oil. And that determines whether we're going to be saved or not. Look at this quotation by the the great preacher A.W. Tozer. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, Tozer says, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. He's not through. He says, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. All I can say to that is, ouch, for Tozer is saying the same thing that Jesus says in his message to the church at Ephesus, and he's saying to us today, the greatest thing that you and I need is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Talent is not enough. Good works Will only get you so far if you want to be convicted of sin if you want to live victoriously if you want to get rid of certain sins and and and, and habits in your life you're gonna need the power of the Holy Spirit and sadly we don't have it and do you know how I can say that because we don't have love the love that forgives the love that is patient love that is kind oh yeah we can muster up some love every now and then but loving means loving the unlovable when they're at their most unlovely when I pastored in New York the late 1980s pastored in Brooklyn I had a chance to become very familiar with the world renowned Brooklyn Tabernacle Church how many of you familiar with that church Many know the church because of its 270 voice Grammy Award winning choir. And when I say they have a choir out of this world, they are out of this world. Their weekly services are in the thousands and they have planted countless other churches throughout New York and throughout the United States and abroad. But when they first started, the pastor tells us in his book, Fresh Wind, First Fire, Jim Cimbala, he says we only had about 20 people. And he says his sermons were so boring, even he would fall asleep. But then he said, the reason why we're so known, the reason why we have all this is not because we've orchestrated some crafty worship service, not because we did some uh, church growth strategy. He says we have what we have today. We have the blessing of God in our lives It's because we came to a very real reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it happened at a Tuesday night prayer meeting with 20 people showed up. And he said, from now on, every decision we make, every ministry we start will be the result of the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So every night, every Tuesday night at 7 p.m., thousands hear what I'm telling you. I lived in New York. I've been to the church. Thousands show up for prayer meeting, and the choir doesn't sing, and there's no food. People come from New Jersey. They come over the bridge. People come from Long Island. They're going to Brooklyn. Why? He says not because he's some great speaker. He hasn't even been trained in ministry. He says, but because he made a promise that he would do nothing without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So they began to pray every Tuesday night for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in their lives. He says, our people need the fresh wind and the fresh fire of the experience of the Holy Spirit. We don't need another committee. We don't need another study. We don't need another program. What the church of these last days needs more than anything is the power and the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. The Holy Spirit gives you the power to live the victorious Christian life. That's what is needed today. That was the message to the church at Ephesus. That is the message to the church today.
0: You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week.
1: Just making up our minds is not enough. But when you've got a made-up mind, it means that once you've made up your mind, you're determined to keep your mind made up.
0: That's a sample from Charles Tapp next week as he continues this series, Christ First, a journey through the book of Revelation, with the fifth part, with a made-up mind. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more simple truths for life.